Welcome to Rugged Theology, where we talk about church planting, theology, and drink coffee. And welcome to another episode of Rugged Theology. I am your host, Adam Diamond, and today we are going to do a God Can Part 2 episode. Uh, so with me again, I have Mr. Stephen Dahl back again for this one. Woohoo! Yeah, we have Mr. Stephen Bray. That's me. And this time instead of David, uh, I asked Matt to join us. Say hi, Matt. Hey, Matt. Hi. How's it going, guys? <laughs> Perfect. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you're listening, I hope you really, I, I mean, I hope you enjoyed our first episode on God can and the problem of evil. Today we're going to look at, um, Ord's look at healing and why God doesn't always heal. Um, he, I think he, I mean, he tries really hard, I think, to come up with a reason, um, in his mind for why God doesn't always seem to heal, whether people have a lot of faith, whether they're constantly praying, you know, the list goes on. And then why someone else who maybe in our mind doesn't deserve as much to be healed does receive some sort of healing. Uh, so this is kind of what this focuses on. So before we get into it, um, in his book, he kind of describes healing as, number one, always happening. So in, in that sense, it's always happening through doctors, nurses, dietitians, I guess chiropractors, um, and probably even through our body itself. Uh, and just a natural way to heal us. So he states that God is always actually healing, so we can't actually say that God doesn't heal. Um, and then he says that God doesn't heal from the outside, that God isn't some arbitrary force who is outside of everything um, and then has to enter in with us to somehow heal us, touch our bodies, etc. Number three is probably, I would say, one of the more problematic or interesting ones is that God absolutely needs our cooperation in order to heal which is what we'll mostly be focused on in this episode. And number four is that we will all be healed in the end, as in when you know, we get to heaven, you know, there is no pain, no suffering, etc. that uh, right. healing will take care of that. Uh, so for you guys here, let's get started. Um, so the solution offered for why God doesn't always heal rests heavily on um, God not being controlling, which we talked a bit, a bit in the last podcast, that God is, he believes that God is always uncontrolling or not controlling, um, and needing, needing to work with creation. So let me ask you this. Does God need our cooperation for healing, and why or why not? Everybody's kind of looking at me here. The I, I mean, the simplest <laughs> way to say it is uh, no. I, I mean, the, the idea that God would actually require cooperation external to him seems to actually state that there's something more powerful in the universe than God, mm -hmm. more more requisite for anything than God, and that's definitionally then not talking about God. Whatever is more powerful than God is obviously God, and not the thing that needs uh, permission of something else to work. Mm -hmm. uh, so do we have any, like, anything like, scripturally that we can go to and say, like, you know, God doesn't need our permission or our cooperation? Well, hang on. Let's, let's move back and yeah, say sure. to our listening audience that... You know, feel free to share this uh, this podcast. I'd love to see it go places. But what I want everybody to understand, even before we get into this, is that here's the danger of this type of messing around with God. Because in the four things you started with, mm -hmm. what makes this so dangerous is because two of the things are kind of right. Yep. And two of them are just categorically wrong. 
right? That healing is always happening through doctors and nurses and dietitians is kind of right. Kind of, it, it does yeah. happen. Okay. Um, God doesn't heal from the outside. I don't even know what that means, but anyway, God needs cooperation to heal. Steve's already answered that. And we will all be healed in the end again. Yes. So I want our audience to realize this is what Satan's MO is. And, and again, I don't mean to say this as if I'm trying to degrade this individual because we disagree with him. Mm-hmm. But this is what I think people need to realize. Satan very rarely is going to come at you front on and go, I'm going to lie to you now. Yep. Mm -hmm. The whole idea when anybody, let me just give a couple of pre-warnings here to this entire podcast. Whenever anybody says, I figured out something that we've never figured out before, Mm -hmm. all your alarm bells should go off. Mm -hmm. Okay. Anytime someone says something like, oh, I've discovered now what this meant. Like... Guys, everybody needs to step back and realize that should alarm us. So I just want to give that precursor. You know, let's now get into the nitty gritty of this. Yep. But the reality is, as Steve said, this sums up. And I'll, I think Steve's probably loaded for bear in regards to scriptural references. If not, I am. And uh, we'll go from there. Well, I mean, there's uh, we could go into that. But, I mean, you just, uh, you just kind of brought up another problem I kind of have with what the first section you said there, God doesn't have to enter into, uh, yeah. because he's, I mean, that's kind of right too. I mean, he's om, omnipresent, but mm-hmm. there is kind of an implicit denial of the separability of creation from God. It's almost like getting to the point of, you know, creation is a part of God or all of creation is in God, or which is a, a, a standard uh, viewpoint of some Gnostics called panentheism. Yeah, uh, in reading, he comes very, very close to that line. Right. Um, he's, you know, he states in the book that um, God is, you know, as close to every cell of your being as he is anything else. And yeah, he's yeah. present to every cell. So he comes very, very close to that line. And, and, and I mean, I'm not going to deny uh, <laughs> omnipresence, but. The fact is, there is something different about creation than God. Mm-hmm. I mean, God, creation has been subjected to futility. Uh, creation is something that uh, is, you know, uh, fallen and uh, in enmity to God at the present, uh, that and in enmity to us because of the fact that we are in enmity to God. But uh, yeah, so th- there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, problems when you think about what he's saying after a few seconds. And it's exhausting thinking about how he could even drum up a rational like a, a rational thought on how to conclude that god needs to cooperate like I, I i sat down for the last you know two days thinking about it and it just it did my head in i don't understand how he gets to the conclusion and maybe i could go back and read the book but it's it just it seems absolutely ludicrous that god well, needs and, right? and it seems like a direct denial of a lot of things that we see in scripture actually said about god like uh, scripture will say that God exists in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Mm. Uh, there are there are verses that tell us about how the king's heart is as water in the hand of the Lord, and the Lord directs it in the direction that it's going to go. I, I mean, if that's the case, then this is the idea that there is some kind of opposite thing, this uh, power that somehow stays the hand of God. Mm-hmm. It, it just seems foreign to Scripture generally, let alone individual texts of Scripture. It minimizes God. It puts him, like, it, it takes him from the grandness of who he is, and it, 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 it you know, it, it, how, do I, how do I word it? It diminishes who he is 
to think that he has to, you know, ask for permission or, you know. Well, and the funny part is that I think that it's actually demeaning God's greatness with a desire to, I don't know, make God uh, apologize for God, for God not doing the things that we think are good. Or we think that God should do. Right. So it, it, it's, it, I don't want to say that he's, in, he's trying to minimize God. I just think that effectively he is. Well, beginning. Here, here we go, right? We, we want, again, our listening audience to understand the, the importance of you reading God's Word. Because I, I, I don't think this guy didn't read God's Word. Mm-hmm. So you ask for so evidences. So this is how easily you can get off track. Yep. So um, the man born blind in John chapter 9. Mm-hmm. That's good. Uh, you know, he's born blind. The disciples say, who sinned, this man or his father, or his parents, right? Yep. Jesus says, nobody, but that you may know that the I'm the son of God, God and yeah. so on. But then, probably what this gentleman, again, I'm assuming this because I haven't asked him yet, but then it says Jesus made some mud, put it on his eye, said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. So this guy's probably, oh, so this guy had to do some stuff mm-hmm. and thus ended up being able to see. So ipso facto, there's cooperation, mm-hmm. right? When... Um, was it Naaman, the Syrian general in, yeah. in Kings? Yeah, that's right. You know, and, and he goes to Elijah, and, and Elijah says, or Elisha, um, go, times, right? go wash in the Jordan River yep. seven times. Yep. So there's cooperation. And yep. so they're reading as if the guy wouldn't have been healed had he not done what he did. Mm-hmm. Therefore, again, this is, a, this is his logic playing out. Therefore, that must imply. But the problem with that is you're not reading all of Scripture. Because when, sorry, when Jesus calls Lazarus from the grave, he's dead. There is no cooperation there. When he raises (laughs) Tabitha from the dead, there is no cooperation there. When he commands demons to come out of people, the human beings are not at all in the picture. It's not a cooperative And the demons are kind of opposed. Well, they're absolutely opposed. (laughs) So let's go into something very quick here, because it's not just like a physical cooperation he's talking about. This is where it gets really weird, I think. Right, exactly. Is that... It has to be a cooperation, like every cell in your body needs to cooperate with God. And he does state, like, I'm not saying that, you know, your cells have some sort of sentient, you know, thought process or anything, but somehow there has to be agreements with the cells in your body with the work of God, because God is always wanting to heal you. Hmm. Um, And because you're not healed of cancer, it just means that it wasn't your faith, it's the blame is on creation. I can't even wrap my head around that. No, so here's what I think. I think what we're dealing with is a, is a misunderstanding of sin, not creation. All right? Paul tells us that all creation groans. We've got to define what a miracle is, okay, for starters. A miracle mm-hmm. or a healing is actually not... We, we, th- we always call it, this was supernatural. This was against created order. I would submit that the Bible... Actually, there's way fewer miracles than any of us care to admit. Mm-hmm. I think somewhere between 140, 150 recorded individualized miracles from Genesis to Revelation. And then we have two periods of, say, concentrated miracles. One during the, at most, two to three and a half year ministry of Jesus Christ, yep. and somewhere in a slight time frame between the apostles in the early kickoff of the church. Other than that, this idea of healings and miracles gets less and less and less and less mm-hmm. in recorded scripture. Now, that can get into a whole other theological argument as to why. But what I'm saying is 
these were not supernatural issues as they were previews of what order was supposed to look like. Yeah. We're not supposed to get sick. We're not supposed to age. We're not supposed to die. Mm-hmm. We're not supposed to get demon possessed. Creation's not supposed to work against itself. And so Jesus is declaring his godness and letting us know what sin has done. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to cellular stuff, I mean, you got a problem there when you're dealing with him rebuking the Sea of Galilee. Mm. Yeah. Right? Because yep. you're, uh, you're actually, not dealing with human beings. Absolutely. Um, you, he, so uh, I'll put this in really quickly. So uh, Thomas Ord was uh, on a uh, podcast, I'll say, uh, a few, like, well, last month, uh, beginning of May, I think it was. Right. Uh, with a man here in, in the island. And this was actually, this passage that was actually brought up at the Sea of Galilee when he calmed the storm. And he almost makes it so that you can't disagree with him because he says, well, in that instance, everything was just agreeing with him. Like the wind, everything agreed with him when he well, spoke. It, and, and, and I mean, this is just from uh, driving me kind of nuts from a logical perspective, not merely from the Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. The, the fact is there's a lot of implicit fallacies going on mm-hmm. here. There's like... Uh, I, I mean, for example, when he talks about uh, the reasoning that you're talking about there, the simple fact that there's no falsifiability in his argument kind of shows that it's really ad hoc. I mean, mm-hmm. it over predicts. If God heals, then this is predicted by my theory. If God doesn't heal, it's predicted my, by my theory. Mm-hmm. If uh, there is no falsifiable way of dealing with it. Mm. But even worse than that, when it cam- comes to scripture, what Steve was talking about, it's not merely that he's not... Uh, fa- that he's failing to read all of Scripture together. It's that he's not even really reading the passages right. that well. Because the fact is, the passages actually say things and honestly fail to say things that he's adding in there. Mm-hmm. Like, that, that, that is the central problem here, because I, 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 I get a feeling here that he's got an idea about the way God has to work and the way that God has to be operating. God has to want to heal all the time. And so because he doesn't, he's got to reinterpret the text to say the things he wants it to say. Even though if you look at the text, I mean, and you just kind of parse out what it actually says, and I, I recommend that when you are talking about these things that you go to your Bible, open it, look at exactly what the wording is. Because the wording is pretty important. It, mm-hmm. it, it does sometimes say things that we don't want it to say and doesn't say things that we do want it to say. Um, I mean, it, it does actually say that Jesus rebuked the wind. Mm-hmm. And if, if we're talking about you know, cooperation, um, you guys brought up, like, I highly doubt, I mean, we can see for ourselves in reading the scripture, like the demons weren't in total cooperation of wanting Not to be removed from the people they were possessing. And of course, uh, neither Jairus' daughter nor Lazarus could be in agreement. They were dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's hard to be in agreement once uh, <laughs> once you're dead. You can't really do anything from that point on, <laughs> right? So, so again, and then the other conclude the other thing that I want our audience to ask themselves is: so, what's the end game if I embrace this? Mm-hmm. What kind of a god have you got? You've got a god that a fickle, a contrary, a weak god. So in other words, you've got a moody God 
who may or may not be able, or as only, as long as you've got a cooperative spare. This sounds very similar to the faith-based miracle movement, mm. which is as long as you've got enough faith, and then, so ipso facto, if you don't get healed, the problem is with you. This seems even more dangerous because maybe the problem isn't with you, maybe God's not cooperative. Mm. Or maybe it's nature that's the problem. I mean, we're, we're going to be then going to be working at enmity with nature because uh, I, I would be cured of my cancer if only with my cells had agreed if, with God. If only my cancer or agree to not exist anymore. And this is to lose sight of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So we, we live in a sin-cursed world where bad things happen to people. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say bad things happen to good people, because that's the worldly expression. Well, they do, expression. but there was only one good person. Right. So. But Paul sums this up in Romans 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time... Mm-hmm. So I think that our, our friend that wrote this book, and many people out there, and I hope that many people will listen to this podcast... Because I think that the one thing we all share is we all suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've all dealt with pain, unexplainable things, events that drive us nuts. We've grieved, we've mourned, we've hurt, we've been scared, all these things. But he says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits. Mm-hmm with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? For this creation was subjected to futility. Now watch this. Not willingly. Uh-oh. Wait a second. The Bible itself says creation's not willingly cooperative. Mm-hmm. So that, that busts up his whole argument, right? Not willingly, but because of him who, now watch this word, subjected it. That's not cooperative. Not in the slightest. Right? No. Now, but notice this, subjected it in hope. So what's the result? That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know, not we wonder or we think or we hope or we long, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves because we're the first fruits of the Spirit groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. Amen. I, I mean, the guy could have spared himself a ton of work if he just read Romans 8. <laughs> well, <laughs> and, but, but centrally speaking, I, I think there is a problem there too, though. Because the fact, and I've had, I had a few interesting discussions this week with people who, you know, I, I were using texts that I think they weren't quite understanding. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the issue here. The fact is, a lot of times we assume that we come to the Bible as if we have no preconceived notions. And mm. that's not true. Mm. The fact is, you have all of your experiences, you have all of your ideas, you have all of your biases when you come to Scripture. And the question is going to be, when you look at the Word of God, and when you ex- see how God is expressing Himself to us, are you going to read it as something that you have to reinterpret to fit your model, or do you actually have to reinterpret your model to fit what the Word of God says? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that that's a fight, to be honest. I mean, I'm not sure I do it perfectly, but the fact is, I think that that's what you're, you're looking at here in Thomas Ord's understanding of healing and why it doesn't happen, because he has an idea of what he wants God to be in his imagination of what a loving God would look like, mm-hmm. namely not controlling, and but always wanting to heal. And he has to work them together. And because he's not willing to, you know, 
nuance either of those two premises. Mm-hmm. And he comes to scripture, he's left reinterpreting large segments of scripture that actually deny the thing he's saying. Now, let me let me give you the checkmate to this. Give her. For 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If this whole cooperative thing and all this is is his is his linchpin mm-hmm. by which he he strings his argument together, what do you do with Paul in 2 Corinthians 12? This is a guy who probably healed almost more people than anybody next to Jesus Christ himself. Yep, though we don't actually have numbers of either. Right, but we know that like his shadow did stuff, and if he touched hankies yep. and all this kind of stuff. Yep, yep. Um, we know this was a guy that was stoned to death, raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. We know this he was, was in cooperation. Oh, with- hang on. We also know that a guy, he preached a fellow to death, <laughs> right? <laughs> preached so long, dude fell asleep, fell out the window, <laughs> raised him from the dead. I haven't gotten to that level yet. Now, what you don't realize, Paul talks about that death experience he had in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, yep. and he talks about about boasting and about this guy he knew. He's being he's being somewhat using a bit of hyperbole and a bit of mixed messaging here. And he's referring to himself and that how God, and I love what he says here. He says, to, so verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation. So he's saying, when I died, I saw stuff mm-hmm. that God told me I wasn't to talk about. But now I'm walking around, and I know this stuff. Like, I literally, he was the one guy that say, I, I've got some insights that nobody got, okay? God says, or sorry, Paul interprets this, and then he says, to keep me from becoming conceited, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, once again, to keep me from becoming conceited. Now, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. So here, here was a cooperative effort. Paul was willing to cooperate. He went to God if God wants to do it, right? But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, mm-hmm. for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest on me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content mm-hmm. with weaknesses insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And for that, I say to my dear friend, ta-da. Well, and it, it actually does then also, I, I can think of ways that you could actually argue Ward's position from that text, though in order to do that, you'd actually have to say that either Paul is misinterpreting what God is doing right. in the Word of God, mm-hmm. or you're saying that God lied to Right, Paul, and said that you know my, when he says my my strength is made perfect in weakness, my my grace is sufficient for you. In fact, I'm sure Scripture affirms that God cannot lie. I'm pretty sure of that 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 we actually dealt with that with the God can't thing. Oh, okay, there you go. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, we did type of things God can't do, and I mean, one of them is you know God can stop evil and He does stop evil. Yeah. Uh, but not only that, He redeems evil. Yeah. Um, but you know, God can't lie, so obviously that's not the case right. here. But I mean, the the idea here then again, this is another way in which the interpretation will give you a substandard God, because the God that you end up with here is kind of like the Wizard of Oz, sitting behind a curtain. That's right. Uh, mm-hmm. Trying to make you think that he's more powerful than he is. You know, telling Paul, you know, my my grace is sufficient for you, when in fact it's like he's he's in the corner going, oh gosh darn it, I really wanted to heal that guy. That's right. So yeah. either either we're God, or God's a lousy God. Mm-hmm. Which which kind of brings into the next next or thing, both. like if 
let's say again if i mean we don't agree with ord at all but let's say god does create something he can't control he needs the absolute control he needs the absolute like you know cooperation of creation to do anything and we, we kind of talked about it a bit what kind of god are we left with and what does that mean for us if god needs the absolute cooperation of everything in order to get anything Well, I mean, I hate to say it because I've actually read a book similar to this Mm -hmm. written back in the 60s, back when I first became a Christian in the mid-90s. Harold Kushner wrote a book, uh, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People? And the end result is that you end up with a God who is perpetually frustrated, incapable, probably a, a kindly grandfather who wishes that he could help you, Exactly, but he can't. And that's going to be the big ultimate problem, and that's going to be the take-home problem mm-hmm. that we're going to face with this version of God. Your God literally can't. When you're facing your worst problems, when you're facing your worst difficulties, not only is God incapable of helping you, because God is incapable of helping you, no one can help you. You're lo- left in the in the totality of this, and there is no redemption involved because God is being frustrated here. Mm-hmm. Look, and, and let's get to the heart of this. People guise and disguise and camouflage these types of subjects as being theological or philosophical when in essence what we're trying to do is handle and explain our humanity and our suffering and the suffering around us mm-hmm. because it hurts. There's emotions all of these types of things. And so we are looking to try and explain all of this, and we want to construct God to make sense of our circumstances. Mm -hmm. But when you decide to construct God, the problem is you're never, ever going to think big enough. And that's why you've got to turn to the Word of God. Mm -hmm. Amen. And you're always going to feel weak. There's always some hole in your reasoning. Mm -hmm. This is why... The God of the Bible, who is all sovereign and in all control and overseeing everything and is going to bring it to its ultimate end. The other problem with this thinking is we're putting too much emphasis on the short lifespan of our lives Mm -hmm. and not on the eternal. We're looking, you know, there's a, a worldly expression. We're staring at a tree and not seeing the forest. Yeah. And of course, this is going to be a big problem that we have generally when it comes to most things that we have in in at least Western culture, I think we are horribly self-centered here. Yes. And one of the problems with being horribly self-centered is that we cannot honestly imagine that the scripture is not primarily about us. We can't imagine that reality is not primarily about us, Mm -hmm. that my meaning in life is not the ultimate thing that we should be aiming for, but rather meaning is to be found in the one who is meaning itself, God. And you know what? The world catches this. They they get glimpses of this. Let me go to pop culture. The current cycle of America's Got Talent just has this girl, what is she called? Nightshade or Nightbird? Uh, Nightbird. Okay. Who is dying of cancer, mm-hmm. but shows this joy, this inner strength. Now, I actually believe there's some Christianity in her background somewhere, I believe. I think she started, might have studied at Liberty. Oh, you, right, yeah, right, don't okay, take care of that, right, but I think yeah. so. But anyway, and the world gobbles that up. Mm -hmm. Here is a girl 
with probably little to no hope of healing, but is going to choose joy. And she said this one wonderfully profound thing. If you wait till your life is, is great or something to be happy, you're, you're ne it's never going to happen. Yeah. And so even the world itself, even though it tries to construct the meaning of life and, and come up with a God that will make sense so they can explain all this stuff, when they every now and then see someone that simply has joy and passion and drive and seeming contentment, mm -hmm. even the whole time they hate the disease that they're dealing with, but can sing and offer love and content. Yep. And what does the, everybody, including Simon Cowell, was crying and everybody, what a hero, what strength, what? Well, there, there, is, there is no cooperation. There's just acceptance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and yet, the Bible is so good, to get to the end of it, it tells us, God says, for all of the suffering you have ever felt, all of the pain you have ever seen, everything you've ever read about in recorded history, I am God. I will fix this. Mm -hmm. And that's huge for us today. Exactly. Because, I mean, if you're facing these real difficulties, if you're facing actual suffering where you, can't, where you haven't been healed, where you're facing... You can either have the promise that, well, God really would if he could, but he can't, so he won't. Or you could have an understanding of the real God, knowing that your life and your suffering is not in vain. God will redeem this. This will be ultimately glorious. You, you, you don't have to be lost in despair. You can despair of your, own, uh, of your own goodness, but do not despair of God. Because he's got this. Mm -hmm. And I, if you're listening, we're not saying that we've got all this whole evil thing and, you know, why your questions, but why God doesn't heal figured out. I mean, those are hard questions. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I prayed. I mean, I had a misunderstanding view of, you know, praying for my grandfather. My grandfather took a stroke when I was about 10 years old uh, and paralyzed on one side of his body. And I prayed every night. And I was actually terrified that if I missed one night of praying, that God wouldn't answer my prayer. Right. Um, but, you know, and then my grandfather, when I was uh, 13, he took a second stroke, went into a coma, and died on my brother's not his 13th birthday. Mm -hmm. um, but it wasn't for my lack of faith. I fully believe that God could heal. And I didn't, I mean, I went through a, a, a period of trying to wrestle with that. Right. Like, why didn't God heal? Exactly. Right? But I can look back, and I can tell you one thing. That man left such an impact on my life because he was paralyzed and he stayed faithful to God. He would pull himself up in the pew by his one good hand, lean against it, and then raise that hand in worship. He never let it stop him. And if that didn't happen, I mean, to see a testimony, to see a man pu pushing through whatever, you know, the world would say hold him back was a horrible tragedy, whatever you want to call it. It left more of an impact on me than anything else I say he could have done. Right. So, so the simplicity of this mm -hmm. is for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Amen. Philippians 1, right? For the Christian, we might long... Paul, Paul boiled it down. I, the only reason I want to live is so I can honor Christ. Mm -hmm. But I'd rather die to be with him for my faith to become sight. And for anybody out there that's searching for meaning, they're wondering how come these bad things happen... That's why you need to turn to God. Now, for the Christian that is struggling with why, mm -hmm. I will tell you, become a student of the book of Job. <laughs> that is the book yeah. where a guy wrestles with why. Where the Bible tells us God himself said Job was innocent 
a man who, who you know, pushed against evil. And, and, and Satan basically said, listen, man, he's only yours because you give him a good life. Mm-hmm. And then God said, okay, then take his good life away. Even Job got to the point where like, Lord, if this was why I was created, like why even bother? Mm-hmm. But at the end of it, he comes from why to who? And so I would challenge. Now, for the person that doesn't believe in God or is agnostic, skeptic, whatever, searching, trying to make sense of the universe, I will tell you the only answer you're ever going to find is God. And you must believe God as God describes himself and displays himself. And when you do, mm-hmm. all of this suffering, all of this evil, never convenient, never without pain and emotion, never without questions, even doubts, never without fear, but it all finds its solution in God. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Well, if you're listening, I, I just want to thank you for you know tuning in and for sticking with us. This is episode 49. Next week will be episode, episode 50. Um, we skipped a couple weeks over Christmas, so we've been at this for just about a year now. Uh, which is crazy. crazy. So look forward to next week's episode where we kind of give you a bit of an update about Newfoundland and even Labrador. We've got some stories from there now that we can tell you. Um, But just know that we never try to offer just these pat answers to these hard questions, these theological, emotional questions, um, but that you can rest in God's word and that you can rest in God. And above all, he is good. And if we hold on to that, then we know that whatever happens or from our perspective, whatever doesn't happen, that God is still good through it all. Amen. So with that said, thanks again for listening, and hope we catch you again next week. You have been listening to Rugged Theology. Rugged Theology is a podcast of Mile One Mission. If you'd like to know more about Mile One Mission and our work in Newfoundland, please visit us at www.mileonemission.ca.